What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. We also have to talk about bringing Mike Tolbert back because you know we're going to do it. Well, yeah, definitely. Mike Tolbert, Darren Sproles, Michael Turner, all three of them. You know, I actually wouldn't hate Michael Turner or Darren Sproles. That actually would not be the worst idea. Michael Turner's like 40 at this point. So? Sproles, is, Sproles is, could be good, but he's also recovering from a broken leg and like a dislocated shoulder or something like that. No, it was a... He fucked up his shoulder and he tore his ACL, I believe. Is what you've got to run year. the ball and you've got to control the clock and you've got to win time of possession to win football games. This is true. John did significant research on this and, and found this out. Yes. returning from a decent amount of time off. This is about Brian. a month. Yeah, you know, about a month or so. There hasn't been a Stick. whole lot going on until recently. Yeah, sticking to our, our plan to every two weeks and then immediately didn't do that. Yeah, well, you know, it's, we're, we're not <laughs> a very structured podcast here. We just kind of get on here and talk when we want to, and there wasn't much to talk about. Also, there was a lot going on in our lives, like uh, John hurt his knee and all that, so... Can't you know, podcast that, on a bum knee, you know. It's 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 a it's a physical game. As far as I know, the rehabilitation schedule just didn't work out with our podcast. No, it did. So. It did not. Yeah. So, but anyway, we're back here to uh, discuss the recent happenings of the Panthers and any recent happenings the CSR site. And obviously, this week has been a pretty eventful week. Um, Marty Herney acting very gentleman like and just cutting ties with guys. Um, Kirk Coleman was the biggest surprise to me, uh, but they also cut ties to Charles Johnson and Jonathan Stewart, both of which really underperformed last season. Um, anything, any surprises with that here, guys? Uh, John, I'll start with you. Uh, kind of all of them. Not Charles really? Johnson so much. Charles Johnson, no, not really, because I think that was an obvious one, but Kirk Coleman and Jonathan Stewart were surprising. I think uh, – just because like John Stewart has been around for so long, and that seems like the the typical Marty Ernie like, yeah, you're you're a Panther, so you're always going to be a Panther. And Kurt Coleman being our best safety, which isn't saying much, but um, that Marty Ernie would go that route because that's exactly the opposite of his his reputation that he's he got the first go around. Right. Yeah, that one definitely surprised me because like. He had the most interceptions by any NFC safety from uh, 
2015 and 2016. Then 2017, he didn't have as many, but that had a lot to do with just the change in the way the defense went. Here's my my thing that's what makes Kurt Coleman so most surprising is all over the internet you see people saying like these are my here's what I would do if I were the general manager and didn't have any relationship with any players and I would cut these half dozen to dozen players I almost I don't remember almost ever seeing Kurt Coleman on these on these lists like I I didn't even really kind of realize he was an option as like a cap casualty I mean they literally just signed into an extension the year be- the off season before um, in 2016, like to a you know high level safety contract. So, yeah, I agree. It was definitely a surprise. Um, Brad, what are your thoughts? Well, on one hand, I'm not surprised in the least that they cut anybody. Um, but on the other hand, I am surprised that they did because we never make smart decisions when it comes to free agent contracts. Uh, especially Marty Herney. I'm I'm honestly surprised he didn't give all of them extensions to keep them in Carolina. Um, you know, maybe less in their cap hit or whatever, but spread it out. But um, it was weird seeing Charles Johnson get cut, especially. Uh, you know, he only had one more year left. I figured Marty would just let him ride out into in, into the sunset. But uh, I'm glad he did what he did. I, I think there's a little bit more fat that needs to be trimmed. But I like what I've seen so far. Yeah, like I was saying earlier, um, this has been a very gentleman-like handling of the free agents, which is not characteristic of Marty Herney. I mean, granted, Charles Johnson had like a quarter of a sack last season. Um, and Jonathan Stewart averaged like 1.5 yards per carry or something like that. But as you guys said, you know, they were both longtime Panthers. And the general idea with Herney before this was, oh, you've been a Panther for a long time. You know, we'll pay your loyalties or whatever. And uh, Kirk Coleman, I feel like he had, you know, maybe a down year rather than a complete decline in his production. But, yeah, I mean, this was trimming the fat exactly as you said, Brad. Like, this is – he's cutting – he's get, cutting time with guys who – did not perform up to the expectations of their contract. And that's ultimately, you know, how an NFL team should conduct themselves. Um, so, yeah, I'm not I'm not necessarily upset with any of it, but I am a little worried about the safety position, um, mainly because, you know, the best safety we had was Kurt Coleman. And if you want to make an argument for who might be better than him, Michael Adams, who's going to be, what, 37 next year? Like, 36? So... He's 37, and don't worry. Colin Jones is our other safety. We're fine. He's fast. People forget that. I mean, yeah, he ran a 4.2. I mean, I do like Colin Jones. He's great when the only thing yeah. you need him to do is run downfield and down a punt before it goes into the end zone. Like, he's really good <laughs> at doing that, but that's about it. And I mean, I was, I've always been a fan the, the of thing that Jones. disturbs me the most, though, not to cut you off, but the thing that disturbs me the most isn't that we cut Kirk Coleman, isn't that we kept Mike Adams, isn't that we have Colin Jones. It's that Ron Rivera said the other day that they're going to look at veteran free agent options to replace Kirk Coleman. And instead of drafting somebody. And at that point, why don't you just keep Kirk Coleman? Yeah, I thought that was weird, too. It doesn't make any sense. Why are you going to replace Kurt Coleman with essentially Kurt Coleman? Just 
you know, just draft a guy or keep Kurt Coleman. Otherwise, it doesn't make much sense. I mean, unless unless you're going to get a guy like I think Mike Mitchell's a free agent. Unless you're going to get him for the league minimum, which is you know, what is it, a million dollars a year? Unless you're going to get that, it, it was a a waste of a decision or of a cut to to cut Kurt Coleman. It just doesn't make much sense. Plot yeah, twist: the, the veteran same- safety is going to be Kurt Coleman at a reduced Probably. salary. Yeah, the that's same, just like the, the veteran same, running back is going to be Jonathan Stewart at a reduced salary. <laughs> yeah, the saying, safety Brian? market in free agency right now is not all that great. I mean, like, uh, LaMarcus Joyner was probably going to be a high-end defensive back because he can play multiple positions, but it sounds like the Rams are going to bring him back. So, like, there's Tyran Matthew, but he's got a lot of injury concerns with him. He probably super expensive. Fit, he also doesn't fit what we do. Would be creative. I mean, hey, Eric I, Washington's the new the new defensive coordinator. Why don't we give him a chance before we start sandbagging him? All right. I mean, of all but, the uh, here are the best free safety or free agent safeties available. Um, Morgan Burnett, he's twenty nine. Lamarcus Joyner is twenty seven. Ricardo Allen, but he's a restricted free agent, is twenty six. Kenny Vaccaro. He's 27. Eric Reed is 26. We could sign Trey Boston, which is what, probably what we're going to do. Um, yeah, that's – and then Kirk Coleman. Uh, Quentin Demps. So, yeah, there's not a lot to choose from. Which That'd makes sense. Hilarious. Normally, if they're good, if they're good, uh, they, aren't, they aren't free agents. The yeah. Try to keep those guys around. To segue I, I, into our next point. But I do. I was going to say about Trey Boston. One more thing about Trey Go Boston, ahead. though. Uh, did you guys see like the tweet about him like being in Charlotte for business? Yeah, I saw that. Any, any? Do you guys think that means anything, or do you think it was just him being from oh, the area? I, I definitely think it means something. I think we're going to sign him. I thought he was. Uh, I think he was here for some contra- some Herney meetings. I think so. I mean, I don't like it because I think he's pretty bad but i you know that that just seems like something we would do yeah we're we like the whole that was gonna good uh no go ahead this is just gonna kind of fit with our mo of recent years of signing old panther players panthers players to uh rejoin the team after we let them go for not being good enough yeah I was going to segue that into my next point because Trey Boston was let go by the uh, Dave Gettleman regime, and now Dave Gettleman wants to sign Graham Gano, and uh, so allegedly wants to sign Graham Gano. So it'd be go hilarious it, if uh, Graham Gano ends up with the Giants and we end up re-signing Trey Boston. There's just giant middle fingers to Graham Gano, or I should say uh, Dave Gettleman and uh, the Panthers organization from them. Um, so, yes, looking forward with Graham Gano. I know, obviously, the Panthers have been very vocal publicly that they want to bring him back. And uh, he did, he did, and before we get into it, but he did lead the league in field goal percentage, despite the fact that he did not attempt that many 50-yard field goals. Not necessarily his fault, because Ron Rivera, you know, decided not to do those and just punt it at the 35-yard line at times. Um, 
So what are our thoughts on Graham Gano? Do we want to see him franchise tag? Do we want to see him sign to a long-term contract? Or do we want to see him just like go all together? So Brad, I know you're very, you your opinion. Is on those Please let me stuff. go first. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm going to start this by saying, I do not think Graham Gano is bad. Okay. Yes, you did. You do. You said that many times when you said he was <laughs> mediocre. When you're listening yep. to this tomorrow, when it when it's posted on CSR, I'm not saying he's bad. Okay, I'm not using that word. Don't put that word in my mouth. I'm not using it. He is decidedly mediocre. He is the is definition bad. of mediocrity, which is bad. It, which is not bad. <laughs> it's mediocre. There are a lot of kickers in the NFL who are worse than Graham Gano. Okay. Let's get that out of the way. Several of them have played for the Panthers before we got Graham Gano. If anybody remembers the Alendo Mare and Justin Medlock years, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The bridge from John Casey to Graham Gano was a crumpled mess that nobody wants to remember. But there are kickers worse than Gano, but there are also kickers that are either equal to or better than Gano that will not cost $5 million per year in salary cap allocation. And that's the problem. You mean like Harrison Buckter? Yeah, we, sh- we should have drafted him. Um, but, you know, s- signing Gano in and of itself isn't a mistake. It's tying up that much cap space to Graham Gano. When you have a kicker that... He's had two years in his entire career where he was better than 88% field goal efficiency. One of those was his rookie year when he made four field goals out of four attempts. So that doesn't really count. The last year is his last season where he was he led the league 96.7%, yada, yada, yada. But that's because, like you said a minute ago, Brian, Ron Rivera wouldn't let him kick anything over 50 yards. When you – when you don't trust your kicker and punt from the 35 yard line, you don't give that kicker $5 million a year. Uh, let somebody else make that mistake. I think we should either draft someone like we should have done last year. Uh, we should have drafted Harrison Butker. Um, but, you know, there's a, there's a couple of really good kickers in the draft. There's the Pinero guy from Florida. There's, um, uh, what's his name? There's another kicker that's good. I can't think of his name now from Auburn. Um, you know who I'm talking about. If you follow college football, he, he kicks for Auburn. Um, but anyway, uh, there's, there's free agents. Kickers are a dime a dozen. You could bring in seven or eight kickers up for a workout tomorrow and sign one for nothing. Uh, they can be mediocre. And, I think if you can find somebody for a million dollars per year or less that's going to give you 85% field goal efficiency, then you should do that instead of paying $5 million for it. And that's my only problem with it is is the money involved. It's not Graham Gano. I mean, he's a kicker, whatever. I mean, he's not Goskowski. He's not Justin Tucker. He's not um, you know, Adam Vinatieri in his prime. He's not any of those, but he's decent but we're going to be paying him like he's elite and that's a mistake. I think paying him like he's elite is a huge indictment on Ron Rivera towards like, we think we have an elite kicker here, but then we don't trust that elite kicker to actually kick difficult kicks. Yeah. So 
I mean, I, I, I would every... expect a, yeah, I would expect a nine-year veteran to make ninety-five percent of his kicks when you don't let him try anything over forty-eight yards. Exactly, and and all of them are low, like pretty low-pressure kicks. I don't remember too many kicks this year where it was like, you know, even if it was like a forty-five yard to tie it late, other than the game winner he hit against New England. Um, yeah. That one and the one in the playoffs were the only two that I remember. And the one in the playoffs was at the end of the first half. Yeah, and I I posted it. I can't remember. I'm sure it was before the season when the Butker and Gano debates were raging on. I picked like the 10 kickers that kicked the most goal attempts the year prior to this one. um, And just looked at their splits for like how good their kicking, their accuracy was when the games were close. And Graham Gano was so far below every other one except for Dustin Hopkins. And Dustin Hopkins was still better than him, but it was closer than the rest. He was very far behind the rest of the pack. So I just – it's like – we talked about this last year with Butker. It's like we know he's not that great. We might as well take a shot on somebody cheaper and younger that might be better. Exactly. It's, it's – I mean, I know kickers are important, but – at least it'll be, it's at least attempt to be better, and if and if it doesn't work out, odds are Gano or somebody very similar to him in ability are going to be available at the, the drop of a hat. To yeah, like a, yeah, like I said, kickers are a dime a dozen. You can find them anywhere, and you know, scared money don't make money. Yeah, I mean, there's probably like a handful, like six or seven, that are like franchise kickers that are difference makers, and then there's probably. Then there's like the Buccaneers and the Bears that just can't find a kicker to save their lives. And I think the rest of the league is pretty much just kind of a, a revolving door of just kind of who's available and who wants a fresh start. I mean, like the Chargers have re-signed Nick Novak like three different times now when other things didn't work out. It's just kind of how it goes. Yeah. Here's a list of kickers we could sign right now. Chris Boswell, he's a restricted free agent, but we could sign him. Matt Bryant, that would be nice because then he wouldn't beat <laughs> us. He's um, not going to be available. But, I know, uh, but still. Caleb Sturgis, Chandler Cantanzaro, Cairo Santos. That's who we should sign, Cairo Santos. Yeah, Kai we can't Fuller. do that. Yeah, I know. Um, it would, it like would, said, that's like rock, yeah. paper, scissors of kickers where Gano yeah, beats Butker, Butker beats Santos, Santos beats Gano. Yeah, that would – yeah. But we got to complete the the chain. <laughs> um, Kai Forbath. So we could sign Sebastian Janikowski for a year just because I would love to have him on the team. I love that Sebastian Janikowski. He's probably my favorite player that's not on the Panthers other than Gronk. Good old Seabass. Um, Cody Parkey, Blair Walsh, Dustin Hopkins, Nick Novak, and Connor Barth. Those are all available right now. Not, I'm not saying that any of those are better or worse than Graham Gano. I'm just saying that they won't cost $5 million a year, and they're at least close I to feel being like they'd all Graham Gano. Kind of put them all in the same tier for the most yeah. part. Yeah, they're all in the same group, and Standard none NFL of them are going to be as expensive. Can I introduce the, a counterpoint I have to this yes. real no. quick? Yes. All right, I'll shut up then. That's fine. Now, I said ahead. yes. Um, so I was talking to my brother about this earlier today because he's a Titans fan and the re- the main reason why Gano's contract hypothetically could be so high is because they went ahead and signed Ryan Suckup to, you know, a market resetting deal for kickers. As they should, um, because he's going to go to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> well, yeah. No, as bias. Well, no bias. As well no Graham bias Gano. at all. Anyway. Huh? Um, so... 
here's the, here's my thought on it. The 50 plus yard field goals, like being automatic on those is almost a luxury, but you want a kicker who can kick field goals under those 50 yards and be mostly automatic. That's what you're aiming for because you don't need a you don't want a kicker. I shouldn't say like if your offense is kicking 50 plus yard field goals all the time, your offense is not successful. Do, am I am I wrong in saying that? No. You really so you honestly. Well, it depends on how many field goals you kick, what your time of possession is, how well you run the ball, and how well you play defense. But I was going to say, it doesn't really apply to this team with Ron Rivera as the coach, but really, if you're in the range to kick a 50-plus yard field goal, unless it's fourth and long, you should be going for it almost every time. Yeah, pretty that's much. That's another, another discussion for another day. Yeah. But, but my, my thought on it, and like I said, this is just the counterpoint that was introduced to me that I feel is, you know, valid, is... Graham Gano was really good at kicking field goals under 50 yards last year. And it wasn't his fault that Ron Rivera chose not to allow him to kick those field goals. I mean, there was that one time, I don't remember what game it was, but they, they trotted Graham Gano out there, decided to call a timeout and punt the ball. And Graham Gano, after the timeout was called, nailed the field goal. Like, you know, it's, it I would argue his fault that it that is Graham Gano's fault that Ron Rivera didn't trust him though. What was I mean, his 50, but, 50 plus yard stat in 2016? I don't want to touch my computer, so somebody else has to look it up for me. Yeah, uh, hold on. Good radio. Now you have to remember before I say this stat, Graham Gano was, was hurt, playing with a hurt foot. Yeah. I don't know. These, Go ahead. I say I don't know the exact number, but I think career wise, he's like he hovers at fifty percent. And my counterpoint to your counterpoint, Brian, is that it's just one year of sample, and there's several years of mediocre He's Exactly. Accuracy. Yeah, exactly. He's been in the league nine years. His rookie year, he was four for four, so that really doesn't count in statistical analysis because it's too small of a sample. His last year, which was last season, is the only season where he's been what you would call elite. Um, every other year, he's been either bad or mediocre. And I would even, I would call his 2013 with when he was, I think it was 88.7 or something like mm-hmm. that. That 88.9. would be 88.9. Yeah. I would consider that decent or okay instead of mediocre. Cause mediocre does sound bad, but he, he hasn't been top level except for one year. And that was last season. You cannot pay a kicker that much money when you have a track record of mediocrity like that, uh, at least with a rookie, yeah. you have an unknown, and he's going to be cheap for five years or four years. Yeah, he needs somebody that's going to be better than be good more than once every three years. Yeah. Because that's, I think that's what Gano's career is, right? Like two good years and seven? So we, uh, nine? What'd you say, nine, two seven? Year, two good years and eight. Eight, yeah, so yeah, eight because I I don't count his rookie year because you know he only kicked four times. I mean he he was awful his second year. It was like sixty seven percent. But in his defense, he was with Washington and their turf is horrible. Well, he was awful um, the entire time he was in Washington. He so. was awful the entire time he was in Washington. He came to Carolina and he was an eighty percent kicker to eighty eight percent kicker up until last year. 
which Except looked for like, 2016, which he was hurt. He was like 76%, but which, which after going through uh, Medlock and Mare looked like we a, were happy with that. <laughs> we were like, he, this guy can kick the ball straight. Sometimes this is, this is incredible. And I think that has a lot to do with the attachment to Gano, mm-hmm. Um is that Marty Herney was terrible at finding a replacement for John Casey. But That's the original Panther. Yeah. And I, I just, I think that if it wasn't for that, people would be able to see that, that we can replace Gano and it shouldn't be that hard to do. Yeah. We spent a lot of time talking about Graham Gano much more than we did talking about like Jonathan Stewart and Kurt Coleman. That's just think that's interesting. Yeah. The only, the, thing I have to say, the only thing I have to say about Gano is that he, in 2016 and in uh, 2015, he had more blocked field goals. I should, uh, yeah, he had more blocked field goals in those two years, and uh, he's tr- he trended upward last year. Which, as we know, kickers are a very mental position in the NFL. So, like, I don't know. It's it's tough because obviously, like you guys said, you know, his track record was not great over the last seven years of his career, but last year he kicked better than anybody in the NFL. Like, that's because he didn't do anything hard. My my he, other he, thing, it's, it's the it's the he, argument with quarterbacks. It's like that when you say, "I'll just use Kirk Cousins as an example." Kirk Cousins has a good completion percentage. He's a great quarterback. That's because he throws five yard screen passes all day, like Sam Bradford having the like completion. Sam Bradford a couple of years ago. When you dump the ball off within six yards of the line of scrimmage, of course you're going to have a better completion percentage. You're not doing anything hard. And that's the same thing we're seeing with Gano. The other thing, like I touched on with his uh, his the poor clutch resume, um, to kind of further that, this is the first year I think he's had legitimate competition for the kicking job, and he was not good in the preseason games. He was what two no. for four, I think, and missed an any, extra point. Any, yeah, any regular team would have went with um, Harrison Butker. Yeah, I think I mean I think Gano outperformed him in practice, but practice is a different animal. When he was in live action with the, you know, the pressure of a kicking battle, he did not do well, and that kind of falls in line with his uh, track record. I mean, like how many extra points has he? How many times has he missed? Like I feel like every single one of his extra points he's missed has been where like it's like a fourth quarter one possession game. It's like oh, there's the Graham Gano extra point miss to make this game much harder than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Kind of a regular occurrence. So basically, the verdict here is that Gano does not deserve to be franchise tagged. Simply no. getting here. I and to, to I would rather assign someone young, but that's not to say I'm going to be like upset if we sign Gano for like a couple more years and it's cheap. Yeah, I'm not going to be mad and hate it and you know scream and cry and write an article saying how stupid it is if we re-sign Gano. I just think we can spend the money better. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say it was stupid if we spend five million dollars on him and make him one. Of yeah, the I mean, I will, I will say it's stupid if we spend five million dollars a year on him because that is stupid. But I mean, I'm not gonna like, I'm not gonna go to Bank of America Stadium and protest outside or anything. But speak for yourself. Well, you live closer than I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's tough because like a bad kicker can break your season. But if you overspend on a kicker and they underdeliver, that can really break your season too. And I'm afraid yeah. that's what's going to happen. But and 
you know, I think this debate we're having is all for naught because we all know that Marty's going to re-sign him. I mean, he said, quote, unquote, it is a priority. Oh, he said, I missed that. Yes, he he literally said those words. And I also think it's Ron Rivera's guy that Ron Rivera doesn't trust, but that's I think that's more of a Ron Rivera problem. Yeah, I think so, too. Let's see if I can get Marty Herney's direct quote here. It's Ron Rivera's. Isn't it crazy how Ron Rivera, he got that Riverboat Ron nickname, and then I think he's more conservative now than he was like before. He absolutely he, is. He he's absolutely gotten more conservative is. as the years have gone on, and I don't understand it. You would think he's gotten like more secure – you know, because he's a pretty yeah. long tenured coach. I'm sure he's in like the top 25 percent, like coach, like you know, length of ten years in the NFL right now. Yeah, he has to be, or he's at least close. And you think he'd be like comfortable, like, all right, this is my job, this is my team. Let's get, you know, let's loosen the reins a little bit. And but no, it's like he's getting more and more, like finding more and more ways to out John Fox, John Fox. And and another thing, you would think he would feel secure because, um. The one year that he riverboated, we we won how many games? I well, mean, twelve. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and then in 2015 he kind of did it a little bit too, and we went 15 and one. You would think that he would look at that, and he doesn't have to be in love with analytics. He doesn't have to to think that quote unquote nerd ball is the is the way to go. But it's simple math. I was riverboat Ron. And we won, you know, 30 plus games. Yeah. In the two and seasons where he really in was. The two River seasons Ron, when I did it. And when I'm not Riverboat Ron, we go seven, eight, and one. I mean, it doesn't take this genius to figure out which way you should go with that information. Yeah, this year was the exception because this year I felt like was the most, we saw the most examples of like, what are you doing? Yeah, like we punting. won in spite of it, and I'm I yeah. hate it because he's gonna it's gonna justify him to turtle up even more. Yeah, I know. Like like the Bears down two touchdowns with like five minutes left, and we're punting the ball. Uh, like you've talked about, about on a weekly basis since this first Saints game, punting from the thirty-five down like twenty points. Uh, having Cam Newton scream at him to go for it on fourth and inches from the opposing like opposing forty-yard line or something like stuff like that is just like. I can't imagine there's more than like two other coaches in the league, both poor, that would make those kinds of decisions. Yeah, John Fox and Doug Marone, Chuck Pagano probably are the only oh, two Chuck who Pagano. have done that. Yeah, maybe Doug. That, those Marone. Doug Marone like taking it, the knee like in the the playoff game against the Patriots. If you have to take two knees to run the clock out before halftime, you're making a bad decision. Agreed. Yep, that segues nicely into uh, time of possession and and running the ball and Chuck Pagano. Did you see that Chuck Pagano or the Colts piece, Brian? Yes, I did. That I read that and it was so much like PTSD. Like it felt like I was reading about the Panthers. They ran the ball what seventy five percent of the time. The thing that was the crazy one was that they ran the if they had less than three wide receivers on the field, they ran the ball one hundred percent of the time in the fourth how, quarter if they were ahead. How do you have? And I know Chuck Pagano got fired, but how do you keep a job in the NFL when you put that on film? Like, but they had Frank Gore though. 
but it, I know he's only but, like forty six years old or something like that. But it, it's crazy to me that they don't they don't think you know maybe we should mix it up a little bit. <laughs> it's like yeah, I get like a lot of times like the response to like. I'm not an analytics guy. I'm a, I'm a film guy. It's like that stuff also is a film thing. Like it, it yeah. doesn't take long for teams to realize like, Hey, if they don't have three guys out, three wide receivers out there, if they're a run formation, they, they run, they only yeah. pass if they're in a pass formation. Like that's, that's pretty bad. That's peewee league stuff. Like you what, should be able to, to figure that out. And it's like, what, it, go ahead, Brian. What, what blows me away about that too is not, is like, if it was Scott Tolley in under center, I could understand it. Cause like, okay. Our backup quarterback is shitty, whatever. Yeah. But like, they traded for Jacoby Brissett specifically to have a guy who could throw the ball, and they still did that. Like, yeah, and he wasn't why? terrible either. No, Jacoby no, Brissett was. Jacoby like, Brissett would have won games with another coach. Yeah, he did. He won games with Bill Belichick. <laughs> well, Brian, I, you could win games with Bill Belichick. I mean, I mean, I could win games with a lot of coaches, but he anyway, he won eleven games with Matt Castle, so. But still, but it was like, and then the other thing was like that most, the majority of the carries went to Frank Gore and Frank Gore was averaging like two and a half yards a carry while Marlon Mack was getting like four and a half and Marlon Mack got like 20% of the fourth down runs. Oh, wow. That sounds familiar. Yeah. It was stuff like that. And it was like, man, this is just, this is hitting too close to home. (laughs) Yeah. I, I had Frank Gore on my fantasy team last year because I had a serious depth problem at running back. Like three of my running backs went on injured reserve and I had to actually start playing him towards the end of the year because they were giving the the ball so much. Like I was looking at my, my score after, um, after I would lose and I would see why does Frank Gore have 14 points? Like, why did he, (laughs) why did Frank Gore get a hundred yards rushing? Why did he carry the ball 38 times? And I'm like, you know, okay, maybe I should start playing him. It it didn't make any sense. It was, and that's and that's the same boat that I feel like we found ourselves in, and that's why I I said it in a comment se- a comment today that that motivated me to start looking at uh the Panthers play calling, and so far it hasn't been as bad as I would have thought. But I've looked at it over a five year. I've looked at it for the entirety of Mike Shula's tenure so far. I think if I look at just last year, it'll be a little worse. But um. 72% of of for uh first downs when we went ahead in the fourth we ran and we averaged like 3.4 yards per carry which is okay a little bit okay but then you realize over half of those runs for 2 yards or less and it's no wonder that we can't stay on the field in fourth down or on fourth quarters yeah might also be why we give up leads the other thing uh and I didn't mention this in on CSR today but I I found when I was looking at like the the ratios like the run pass splits in different situations we've had like in the over the five what is it 13 14 15 16 five years that we had mike shula um we had like a hundred more first down plays run in the third quarter than in the fourth quarter like well time possession though (laughs) we're, we're we're not we're not running very many plays in the fourth quarter i feel like our time possession in the fourth quarters is atrocious which might be something worth looking into. But time of possession, yes, very important, as we discussed. Yeah. So I wanted to bring this up because it was a discussion that we had over the last few days in the Slack chat. But speaking of, you know, running the ball in the fourth quarter and all that jazz, um, 
investing in running backs. Obviously, Jonathan Stewart is no longer with the team, which leaves Christian McCaffrey, Fozzie Whitaker, Cameron Artis Payne. Um, you know, there's there's room there for the Panthers to spend some high dollars on free agent if they want to, and or spend a first, second, or a first or second day pick on a running back. Um, I know that there's been some significant pushback to doing that, specifically with the draft. So, John, I know you've been investigating into running the ball a lot, overpassing the ball. So, well, it just doesn't thoughts on that. Well, running the ball, I've never said that you you should. Well, I've never said you shouldn't ever run the ball. I think it's important. I, I didn't say you said that. Yeah. No, I'm just I'm, I'm because I've I think I've been somewhat accused of that. Um, it's just it's grossly overrated, and it's more I feel like of a like a predictability breaker type thing, because there's not really any like teams that run well don't necessarily win more, and teams that run poorly don't necessarily win less. It doesn't have any correlation at all. The thing that gets me so we have Christian McCaffrey who's going to be the 15th pay, highest paid running back this year uh, in terms of cap hit. He's good Are enough at every. Me? No. Is that is that that's real really for yeah. a rookie? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's Leonard Fournette's incredible. like fourth. Um, Jesus. those that's okay. and that's why first round running backs are bad ideas because they're not it's not a good return on investment because you're getting like uh, you're paying a high price for a position that you could have paid the same price in free agency for a while. If you draft like a defensive end or a tackle, you're getting him at like a third of the price as a free agent. Yeah, like Alvin Kamara. We could have had Alvin Kamara instead of Christian McCaffrey. And I'm not saying that Christian McCaffrey's bad. I'm just saying, you know, you could get similar or better production for cheaper. Yeah, there's just like that's and that's why if we go the running back route this coming offseason, if we don't feel comfortable with the three we have, and we're obviously going to need bringing camp bodies, we might as well. We need. I, I feel like we're better off sticking to the undrafted free agent pool and maybe like a sixth or seventh round pick if there's one we really like there because there's no reason to invest heavily in the position because it's honestly not like that big of a deal. And Christian McCaffrey and Cam Payne and Fozzie should be good enough to uh, make the offense work if we're smart enough, which I'd, I have my doubts about that, but it sh- it should be good enough. Yeah, I'm going to take a look at some names that we could get later in the draft or as an, a UDFA. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously, my favorite running back in this entire draft is Sony Michelle, but the only way we're going to get him is if we trade up in the second round or pick him at number 24. And I don't want to do that for the reasons you just said. The um, thing that's. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. The thing that's crazy to me is that one of the biggest things that people criticize for Marty Herney that like his biggest pushback that he got was like, he's so, so obsessed with running backs. We're so dumb. We're spending so much on the running back position. Why do we do so much with running backs? And then we let Jonathan Stewart go. And I am just shocked at how many people are like, we should draft like Darius. What's his, what's his, how do you say his last Darius name? Geis? Geis. Yeah. Geis. We need to draft Darius Geis 24th or Sony or We need to draft, these running back in the second or third, or we have to draft a running back in the first three rounds, or we need to si- sign Isaiah Crowell and draft another guy in the fourth. It's like, what are we doing? That's the same thing we just had a problem with. Yeah, well, I'm okay with drafting a guy and signing a guy if we cut both Cameron Artis Payne and Fozzie Whitaker. Yeah, and I they, mean, I, we shouldn't. The same thing with like the kicker. We shouldn't devote like devote a lot of resources to the position. Yeah. I know Christian McCaffrey. Uh, 
according to some eyes, it does not weigh very much, but he's fine. He's good. That's yeah. all that matters. We could the get somebody like Jalen Samuels. Was. We could get somebody like Royce Freeman. I actually I wouldn't mind Royce Freeman. Um, we could get Rashad Penny. Um, Bo Scarborough. Justin Jackson from Northwestern. Sounds like a running back from the 1960s. So yes, he does. Very high uh, up on Ron Rivera's board. Lavon Coleman from Washington. Uh, there's plenty one of other, running backs that will be available. Um, one, one other thing I wanted to say about running backs that I don't understand is this obsession of we need a power back. I actually think we decidedly don't need a power back. Exactly. I think we should double up on somebody like Christian McCaffrey. So, and me and Brian talked about this before we started recording, but I think we should double up on someone like Christian McCaffrey. So we don't give away what we're doing, depending on who's on the field. Yeah. Like we kind of had to do with Stewart this year. Like having Stewart on the field is either a run play. And if it's a pass play, he's basically just like a six offensive lineman. Like you don't have to account for him at all in terms in coverage or anything. Yeah. We need to avoid that. That's why I, think, I like Sony Michelle so much because he's got, he's kind of like Jonathan Stewart and Christian McCaffrey combined. Like he can do both. He would keep the defense guessing, but we, we need somebody like that. We don't need to just go get somebody who weighs 260 pounds. I saw that uh, Sony Michelle has like the exact same physical uh, profile as Alva Kamara. So they'll probably be the exact same player, but yeah, oh, it's like, like when Jonathan Stewart was released, and I, it was like the names I saw people saying were like Alfred Blue and Jeremy Hill, and I even saw Frank Gore. It's like we don't need a big, slow running back. There's no reason for that. Like, it, if we need somebody to pick up a tough yard, we have Cam Newton. We don't. We don't need a 260, and we have a fullback. We don't need a 260 pound running back that can't do anything else but run like a battering ram into the back of offensive linemen. Yeah, and we already know they haven't done it yet, but we're bringing Mike Tolbert back. I mean, it's almost a foregone conclusion. <laughs> oh, my conclusion. God. And so, you know, he'll be the short yard back. So we don't need a guy like that. Mike Tolbert, master of running up, running to the back of the guard, and then trying to shimmy out to the outside like a scat back and yeah. tackle for two-yard loss. I mean, I, if, it's, if it's third and one, he'll give you two yards. But if it's third and eight, he'll give you two yards. I don't know I mean, about that two yards anymore. Yeah, I, I saw I saw a lot of negative. He had a stretch that last year he was here where he got like negative seven yards on five carries over like a five game stretch. Brian, what were you about to say? I wanted to interject with uh, the opinion that I have on running backs. Let's cool. go for it. Yeah, so, yeah, you can. I I don't disagree with the fact that like you bring in a guy who's like clearly a power back to be the fifty fifty power the 50-50 carrier aside from Christian McCaffrey. However, what I do find to be something that could be successful is you bring in a power back to be a split carrier with someone like Christian McCaffrey, or not Christian McCaffrey, Cameron Artis Payne. Because here's what I've seen. The Philadelphia Eagles last season, obviously Super Bowl champions, they found a way, they found Jay Ajayi, Garrett Blunt, 
they had Darren Sproles before he messed up a lot of things with his injury, and they had Corey Clement. They had a very crowded backfield. And obviously, going to another team, the Patriots have a very crowded backfield as well with guys like Deion Lewis and White and uh, Rex Burkhead. And even looking at the Vikings, they, they drafted Dalvin Cook, but they still have Latavius Murray. They had Jarek McKinnon. Like, it's not necessarily a bad thing to have a crowded backfield to, like, have a bunch of different guys with a bunch of different skill sets. I think the Panthers could benefit from having a guy who is a goal line back, like, say, a Jeremy Hill or a Chris Ivory, who I think is more feasible in this scenario. Um, or Cam Newton. Yes. I mean, obviously, Cam Newton does factor in as a goal line back, but at the same time, he's your quarterback. You don't want him to take hits. Um He's not so, any more. I don't get that either because he's not any more fragile than any other human being playing football. I'm not I'm, saying I'm, he's fragile. I'm just no, saying, not you. Like, it's just it's just the general idea that like you don't want your quarterback to get hit. Like you like want your other players to get hit a bunch. The quarterback's the only one that will feel the effects of it. I've never understood that. But hey, remember in 2016 when he used to suffer when he suffered a concussion on the goal line? What happens is yeah. that was Chris Chris Ivory instead. That's all I'm saying. Well, for one, Chris Ivory's not going to do the the A-town stomp when he's going into the end zone <laughs> like Cam was doing. That's why he got a concussion because he was celebrating before he crossed the plane. Um, the point still remains, though, that in that specific instance, let's say, you know, the, the defender got there a little faster and he wasn't celebrating, you'd rather have your power back take that concussion than Cam Newton. Am I wrong about that? Like, do you disagree yeah. with that? No, I don't, but I just it's just one of those where it's like I don't I don't think it's a the odds of it are high enough for it to be something that you you account for a ton. Um the other thing I like like you mentioned the Patriots. I like how the Patriots do it. Gillisley got completely phased out of their backfield and it was just Burkhead, Lewis and White and all three of them are like the same player. Yep, exactly. And it's just they just rotate them in, they're fresh and they can all do everything. We should do that too. Um, well, I he, think we could keep Fozzie Whitaker in that situation mm-hmm. because he's pretty good at screens. Uh, if we were going to do that, we would have to get rid of Cameron Artis Payne. We would have to find somebody. Um, I thought Cameron Artis Payne showed okay as a he's he's okay, guy. but I I I fear that we would end up with the same situation that we had with Jonathan Stewart. Can I mm-hmm. can I interrupt real quick to to finish? Oh, up you're interrupting what, what I was saying. Yeah. Just stay. I don't. I don't have to. I'm just. I'm just asking. But oh, go ahead. So, go ahead. Go ahead. So my point was the Eagles specifically are the ones I'm looking at here. They didn't invest a whole lot of capital into their their group of running backs. They had Legarrette Blunt on a one year deal. They had Jay Ajayi on the last year of his deal. Corey Clement undrafted free agent deal. Darren Sproles probably the last year of his deal. I'm not. I don't know for sure. But they didn't have to invest a whole lot of capital, but they had a lot of diversity there because of it. Like, I'm not saying I feel like the Panthers need to invest a whole lot of capital there. Like, I don't think they should draft They should draft the guy high in the first three rounds and then also sign a high-end running back. But if they can find a way to add a power back like LeGarrette Blunt or like Chris Ivory on a one-year deal – and add a running back who can complement Christian McCaffrey's skills, that really helps an offense that's trying to open up its passing game because 
Now you have a running game where you it's a multifaceted running game. You have a, a power back. You have two guys who can be arguably the same thing on a different play where you're not giving up the what you're going to be doing on that play like you guys were talking about before. That's like that's ultimately where I think they should go is one year deal on somebody who is a power back, strict power back, so you have that guy in that situation. And then the draft, first, second, third round, grab somebody who can compliment Christian McCaffrey, whether it's a Darius Geis who can be a power back and compliment him for the next four years, or a guy who has a similar skill set in the second round or third round where you're not giving up the personnel the personnel and therefore what you're gonna be doing on offense. But, so, so you want to you want us to sign one A and draft one high? I'm not saying they should. I'm just saying I could see the logic behind it Uh-oh. beyond uh, like with I mean, the I, right idea there. Because I, I would understand why they do it. I just hope they don't. I don't either. I mean I would hope that like, you know, if they do draft a guy in the first three rounds, I would hope that guy ends up being, you know, a superstar. Somebody who can be part paired with Christian McCaffrey throughout the first four years of their careers. Great. But with the way this offense works and specifically like trying to opening up the passing game, obviously they want to find wide receivers, but there aren't that many good ones in this year's free agency group, aside from like Sammy Watkins. Like we'd have to break the bank to get Jarvis Landry. So obviously like the ideal situation is finding wide receivers and weapons on offense in the draft, but you can open up that group of weapons by having a strong rushing game with a strong committee. I mean, like Nelson Aguilar for the Eagles was not good until he started being a slot receiver. Um, Alshon Jeffrey, you know, was pretty good despite the fact that he's made of glass and Torrey Smith is strictly a deep threat, but they made that work because of the fact that they had a very multifaceted rushing game. So that that's where I'm at. It's just the Panthers already have the pieces for, a very good multifaceted rushing game if they add to it where like the receiving game may not be as easy to, to improve right away to an elite level this year. Speaking of that, who would you guys rather have or would you not, or do you not want either one? Uh, Sammy Watkins, Jarvis Landry, Sammy Watkins, Brian, I'd rather have Watkins too. I mean like Landry is a guy where he's going to get open the slot and that takes a lot off of Christian McCaffrey. And he's a guy where like he can compliment McCaffrey, but we're going to have to pay a lot more for Landry than we will for Watkins. And Watkins showed, especially against the Jaguars, that he's still a guy who has a high ceiling in the NFL. He can get open. He can fight press coverage. It's just a matter of getting a quarterback who can get on the ball and scheming yeah. him in a way where he can get the ball. Yeah, I'd rather have Watkins, too. I just wanted to see what people thought, what you guys thought. Because, yeah, Landry, like you said, Landry occupies the same area of the field as McCaffrey in the passing game. Um, even if, And then I, I think that's where we want Curtis Samuel to also occupy the field. Um, so, yeah, I don't – He's also going to be way too much to get. Which um, I don't understand because from what I've seen, he's not, like, really that great. He's just kind of like a steady. I think guy. he's good. I mean, I think he's probably a top twenty wide receiver. But I mean, Miami put the the their um, franchise tag on him, so they would either have to trade him, or you'll have to give them two first round picks to sign him. And he's not worth that. 
no player no. It, other than like Aaron Rodgers, you know, people like that. No wide receiver is worth that. Landry, Just Travis Landry. Landry is a good receiver in the sense that he can get open in the slot. And I don't think that Carolina would be hurt by having him on the team simply because you add another option who can get open on the underneath routes. My my issue with him is that he was force-fed targets, and we know that this exactly. is a problem with a guy like Kelvin Benjamin. Kelvin Benjamin in 2014 seemed like a guy who could be a wide receiver one for a team. Obviously, now we know that's not the case, but he was force-fed targets, and that's all Landry's career has been, is force-fed targets every single year because he's the only guy who can get open. He's the only guy who can get yards. Like, they're on that offense – you're more likely to have good things happen by throwing him the ball. And that's not an indictment on him as much as just that they didn't have any weapons around him who could take that that burden off of him. Like, if Carolina could get Landry for argue, like $11, $12 million a year, I might have been okay with it. But he's not a top – he's not a number one wide receiver. He's not – he doesn't deserve number one wide receiver money. He's a slot receiver. If we didn't have Christian McCaffrey, I would be more for it. But I just, I just don't. I think, especially if we're going to get a, if we get another running back to complement McCaffrey in the in the uh, the running game, McCaffrey's going to get a lot of plenty of snaps in the slot. And I don't want them to like it's just it's kind of a waste of resources to go back to that if we have two players that are that premium that we've invested that much into that are have to split split time in a kind of a secondary position on the field at least in the way our well, offense I works. actually I actually kind of disagree with that because Landry and McCaffrey on the same side of the field is a scary scary concept for a defense because both of those guys are guys that are going to beat the the tires off of somebody who's trying to cover them one on one like yeah, but that's like the, not what I worry about there's only one football though <laughs> there's one football and there's only one middle of the field for them to run to, to get open. But at the same time, you can only devote double coverage to one of them. Like, yeah. But that's, then the, that's problem, what I would... the other problem we have that we have to address uh, is who else is Cam going to throw the ball to? I mean, we don't have anybody else at wide receiver except for Brenton Burson. <laughs> I said it. I think Devin Funches as good as I mean, he's fine. He's good. He's better than I gave him credit for coming into this year. But I still think he's functions best as a number two or in like a one A one B situation. I don't we I don't think we're doing great if we go into our season with him as like the clear cut best wide receiver on the team. Yeah, that's why I want Sammy Watkins instead because that answers the question. Yeah, that would make it like a. I, I feel like Watkins. And that's a one A one B situation. Yeah, exactly. Like said. Yeah. With, Watkins with more breakaway yep. speed. Yeah, and it solves the problem. Yeah. It, it allows Christian McCaffrey Watkins. to be Christian McCaffrey. It allows Funches to to not be the only receiver that we rely on. Mm-hmm. It opens up the middle of the field for Greg Olson. It it gives Curtis Samuel and Demir Bird opportunities to get deep. I mean, it solves just about every problem we have on offense. Yeah, Watkins brings a, sim- a different skill set, too. Like... Mm-hmm. Devin Funches is going to provide the physical mismatch. He's a big dude. He's got good length. Um, he's a more technically refined receiver than Kelvin Benjamin, but I feel like he brings the same value to the field. He just has more 
he's more likely to get separation. But a guy like Sammy Watkins, he's more so about creating the separation rather than the physical mismatch. So if the Panthers really do actually land Watkins, damn. Like, that's that's going to be a good group of receivers because you have Funches for the physical mismatch, Watkins for the physical mismatch, for the uh, – not the physical separation. in the sense of, like, his – yes, exactly. Like, the athletic mismatch. And Christian McCaffrey is going to blow the doors off anybody who's a safety or a linebacker in, in the slot. Like, that's a good group to have there because Cam Newton has a lot of options depending on what the defense is throwing at him. The um, way I also see it – oh, sorry, I thought you were done. I am done. Go ahead. Um, the way I see it is you have – like, obviously there's a lot of versatility, but – and I don't I don't count on assigning Watkins, and I don't have, like, hopes for assigning Watkins, but this is just kind of like using him as a generic, like, receiver of this ilk is you have somebody like even like Paul Richardson would be another example. You have somebody that specializes in or who works really well deep with Watkins or Richardson or someone like that. Funches, who's a good intermediate, wins really well in the intermediate area. And then you have McCaffrey and Olsen who are proven uh, reliable guys in the short to intermediate middle of the field type stuff. So you kind of, you have, dangerous weapons at all three levels of the field in the passing game. And we haven't had that in ever with Cam Newton at quarterback. One name I'm going to throw out there because like I said earlier, Herney is acting very much like Dave Gettleman, but John Brown, that dude could have a, have a very big turnaround year for himself. If Carolina can get him on the cheap. Is he a free agent? Yes, him and Jerron Brown with the Cardinals. Oh, yeah, I did see that. I did see that, yeah. Yeah, he's another good one. If he can stay healthy and he can get that, uh, what does he have? Um, He has that blood blood disorder thing. Yeah, sickle cell anemia. Yeah, yeah, John Brown could be this this team's Cam Newton. Or not Cam Newton, Jesus Christ. uh, Ted Ginn. (laughs) He's Um, another Cam Newton. (laughs) I was thinking of Curtis Samuel, and then I was like, I can't say Curtis Samuel, and then it was – but, yeah. Now, like, he could be this year – this season's Ted Ginn Mm -hmm. because he has that top-end speed to take off the top of the defense. And, uh, obviously, Curtis Samuel could too, but John Brown is a faster player, in my opinion, when he's healthy. Um, that dude could really revive his career with Carolina because he would be, like you were saying, you know, a complimentary piece to the short yardage options in McCaffrey and Olsen and the medium intermediate option with punches where Brown could take the top off that defense. And he's a little more polished of receiver than Curtis Samuel is at this point in his career. Yes. Yes. Agree. Yes. Good. <laughs> but yeah, this 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 particular group of receivers in free agency is not a whole lot of like what you see is what you get as much as uh, what you see is what you hope for. I mm-hmm. guess is the best way to put it. Like most of these guys have a projected path in the NFL, where none of them have really gotten to where we would we would have thought they would have been. So. Whichever receiver they choose to go for, if they do in free agency, is definitely going to be a gamble. So I'm hoping that it works out, and I hope it's Sammy Watkins regardless because he's shown a lot more than anybody else. But there's a lot of guys where they could roll the dice and potentially come out with another 10-gin type of signing. 
Yeah, I like the John Brown thing. I didn't realize he's a free agent. I didn't. I didn't know that either. Good work, Brian. Yeah. Oh, you know, just uh, reading NFL.com every day. It's me. You get you researching and stuff. Yeah. Well, since we're still talking about free agents, there is another free agent's decision that we have to make, and it's probably the most important one on the team. We need a backup quarterback because we don't have one. Teddy Bridgewater, game set and match. I I saw that. I saw something about that earlier today. Which I thought was interesting. I didn't really. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't see it. I don't get it. No, Teddy's going to want to go somewhere he can compete for a starting job. He also, I feel like, is like the total opposite skill set of Cam Newton in terms of throwing the ball because he's more of a conservative, like short yardage passer. Like, isn't one of his knocks his arm strength? Here's the way I see it working out with Bridgewater if he actually does make it to Carolina. So. Free agency opens week one, week two. He's out there. He's waiting for an offer, and he doesn't get it because there's so, there's way too much uncertainty with his knee. Carolina already has their third quarterback. Uh, what was his name? Garrett, Garrett Gilbert. Garrett Gilbert, a guy that they already have some confidence in as a third quarterback and maybe even potentially a backup quarterback. So they throw Derek Anderson on their Brenton Burson list of people they can call up when they really need them. And uh, they sign Teddy Bridgewater to be the back of Cam Newton because he doesn't get an offer to compete as a starting quarterback elsewhere. That's how I see that working out. I don't know, because if you look at quarterbacks across the league, there are a lot of teams where Teddy Bridgewater could come in and start on day one like there are a lot of really bad quarterbacks starting in the league well, or, or places see, where there's an old guy that he could be like i'll just be their backup for two years and then yeah and um, it's my job like san diego or los angeles chargers now yeah or like i mean he could go he could go to denver he could go to cleveland he could go to los angeles the chargers the new york team either of the new york teams he could go to um there's one other one. Uh, Miami. Denver. Miami. I uh, said Denver. Okay. Um, but, yeah, there, there's plenty of teams that that could use a guy like Teddy Bridgewater Here to not the be the backup. Teddy Bridgewater because almost all of the teams that you listed are teams where anybody that they bring in as a back quarterback could feasibly end up starting halfway through the season just because their starting quarterback is shitty. Bridgewater has a lot of uncertainty with him because that injury could have that that injury could have ended his career, and it still could. It, it still, still could. could. End his career. Like I, I see, I see whoever doesn't get Kirk Cousins making a play for Teddy Bridgewater. Like you could, let's just take the New York Jets for example. They're probably not going to get Kirk Cousins. They could sign Bridgewater on a prove it deal you know, one or two years, little money, and then extend them if it works out. And if it doesn't, they don't lose anything. I mean, they they don't have anybody at quarterback anyway. But they could also sign Sam Bradford or Case Keenum. Or they could trade for Trevor Simeon. All three of those guys are more likely to be a contributor than Bridgewater. That's all I'm saying is, like, you, you have to understand, like, that kind of knee injury to a quarterback in the NFL, like five years ago, he wouldn't play again. 
you know, like. Oh, I fully agree with that. I mean, I. It's just tough for me to say that. And I'm just, granted, I'm being the optimist here in the sense that he could come to Carolina, but it's just, it's tough for me to say if I were running a team like that, let's bring in a guy who could literally take the snap, take the practice field one day, his knee give out again, he'll never play again compared to somebody where like, at least, you know, they've played some time since whatever injury they've had or they're veterans and they know what they're doing and they're healthy, you know? Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I, I feel like the most likely scenario is we just have Derek Anderson again. I think that's what we're going to do too, and I hate it. <laughs> I just – and I also, for no, no other reason, the same thing is kind of like with the kicker and the running backs. I just like – new stuff is just so much more fun. Like, even if like we get a player that's not any good or like isn't any better than Derek Anderson, it's just so much more fun to have like a new guy to root for and – you know, watch grow or develop or whatever. Yeah. Here's an interesting one for you guys. Since Lamar Jackson is supposedly being projected as a wide receiver in the NFL by some experts. So let's say oh. in the okay. third round, he's sitting there. Do you take him? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. You run to the podium if he's still there in the third round. Yeah. As, as a quarterback. As a quarterback, because if you call him a wide receiver, you're not an expert. Yeah, if you call him a wide receiver, you're a moron. I don't care who oh, you are. It. You're stupid. He's not a wide yeah, receiver. But... He's a quarterback. I know you're not saying that, Brian. Yeah. I'm talking about the, but... the racist scouts, anonymous scouts, <laughs> who are saying he should switch to wide receiver because his completion percentage is 57%. But Josh Allen should be a top five pick because his completion percentage was fifty six. That was I was I was about to say the Mel Kiver thing where he's like I don't care about Josh Allen's completion percentage stats are for losers he just wins and then asked about Lamar Jackson who has a higher completion percentage and a higher win percentage than Josh Allen yeah. you really got to worry about his accuracy because of that fifty seven percent completion percentage exactly like that stuff is, just, that stuff's stupid just come out and say it I don't want a black quarterback because that's what those code words mean. And it's ridiculous that people get paid to have that opinion. If he can play the position, he can play the position, you know? And if, if, if Lamar Jackson is sitting there in the third round and Marty Herney doesn't draft him, it's a mistake because a, we need a backup quarterback. Lamar Jackson would be perfect for that role for a couple of years while Cam Newton is still our quarterback. Then if Cam Newton, and I'm not saying he'll do this, but if Cam Newton decides he wants to get $30 million a year and we can't afford it, we've got a backup plan. Or if Cam Newton decides he doesn't want $30 million a year and we can't afford it, you can trade Lamar Jackson and get a better pick. Just by the way, Lamar Jackson uh, is 6'2 and a quarter, 216 pounds. The exact size is Andy Dalton. So he is clearly too small to be quarterback. Of course. Josh Allen is six five and he's tall and white, so he's the perfect guy. He's he's like fifteen pounds heavier and like an inch and a half taller, and that is all the difference that we yeah. need to see. Well, from all of us here at the CSR podcast, sorry for the long absence, but got some of our concerns out there for you. And feel free to let us know what you think. Ask us any questions you might have. We'll address them in the next podcast. We promise. Um, but yeah. 
from all of us here at CSR Podcasts. Have a good night. Have a good weekend. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. See you sometime in the future. Later. Yep. <laughs> maybe March, maybe maybe July. Looking to grow your business and stay resilient? Look no further than FM Global. With over 180 years of scientific research and engineering expertise, we bring innovative solutions to ensure your commercial property today so you can prosper tomorrow. 